Hello, women's football fans. If you're looking to talk about women's football or soccer, you've come to the right place. My name is Bryce, and this is the Women's Soccer Football Podcast. I'm pumped. We're already on episode three. Time flies. I feel like I just started this yesterday, but it's already been two weeks. So shout out to us. Way to go, guys. I appreciate all of your support since I've started this podcast. And for those of you watching, I appreciate all of you, of course. Um, If you're looking for more consistent content, Check out our TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, and our Spotify, and oh, let's see, what else are we on? This will be on Anchor, too, so if you guys are curious about that, the links will be in the description below, but enough about that, let's get into the podcast, so let's set the scene a little bit. It's Sunday, January 10th at approximately 3.34 p.m. It's still winter in the Midwest, which I like, I'm a big fan of winter, I've grown to like it more and more as time has gone on i have this cup in front of me which says coffee is a hug and a mug i believe it's the same one i had in episode two or one i can't remember which but what's in this mug is three quarters of a cup of oat milk one quarter of a cup of almond milk and also some nestle hot cocoa mixed together and it is absolutely fantastic cheers to y'all that is fantastic and under this cup i have The Christmas gift that my brother gave me, shout out to you, which is a Christmas story coaster. Nothing like a Christmas story on Christmas Day. If you've never seen that movie, highly recommend it. Uh, What else is going on in the world today? Not really a whole lot. We're a few days away from the NWCL draft, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. It's taking place on Wednesday, January 13th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, the NWCL has been streaming these events on Twitch and will continue to do so for the NWSL draft. And also, the weekend fixtures for the WSL ended this morning. If you're here in America, if you're here in England, they probably finished up at about 8, or, I'm sorry, let's see, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. But, nevertheless, there's only one or two fixtures that went on this weekend. There was London City and Liverpool in the Women's Championship, and there was also Chelsea and Reading, which I got the pleasure of watching this morning, and if you had the pleasure of watching it too, you got to see Fran Kirby score four goals, which was absolutely wholesome and amazing. So, let's get right into the podcast. Today's episode's going to be a little different. I'm only going to have one segment, and I'm also going to have two main topics, uh, just to kind of change up the pace a little bit. The segment will be a little bit longer, and the topics will be a little bit more, I guess out there, maybe a little bit more specific than usual, but don't want to keep you guys waiting. Let's get right into it. So the first main segment for this afternoon slash evening, depending on where you're watching, is going to be the weekend recap. So we talked about in the podcast a little bit earlier in the week that a lot of uh, players have been getting COVID-19 in the WSL and also in the Women's Championship. Because of that, there's speculation as to, is the WSL going to get called off? Is the championship going to get called off? Well, The way that turned out was almost all the WSL games got postponed. Aston Villa and Arsenal got postponed. Manchester City, West Ham, United, Manchester United, that is Everton, Tottenham and Birmingham City, and also Bristol City and Brighton. So all the games pretty much got postponed, except for one. The one game that did not get postponed, at least in the WSL, is Chelsea and Reading. And what a game it was. Chelsea scored five goals to Reading's nil. They absolutely dominated throughout the entire game. Reading had a bit of an answer defensively, but it had nothing to show for it offensively. So we're going to talk about that a lot for the remainder of this segment, so let's dive in. The game was pretty much all Chelsea, 
and all Fran Kirby. Like I said earlier, Fran scored four goals. Sam Kerr assisted two of them, and I would argue that Sam probably could have scored two and assisted two today, but she was really unselfish in her play and was trying to feed Fran Kirby in that first half just every ball so that she could get the hat trick. Fortunately, Fran Kirby, she ended up getting her hat trick in the 45th minute and I believe it was two minutes into added time, I believe. So Fran scored her hat trick in the first half. She scored in the 16th minute, the 23rd minute, and like I said earlier, the 45th minute plus two minutes at a time. She then capped it off with a fourth goal from a corner in the 53rd minute, and it was a header and it was a beauty. If you're curious to see what that goal was, check out my TikTok or Instagram or uh, I don't think it's on Twitter, but check, check out TikTok or Instagram and the goals, and also a lot of the highlights of the match are going to be on there, so stay tuned. So, who scored the fifth goal? Jiso Yoon scored the fifth goal later on in the game. It was in the 86th minute. I can't remember who assisted that particular goal, but she took a touch, took it down, and had excellent control, ended up just slotting at home. Uh, the game was pretty much already way done and dusted a good half hour, 45 minutes beforehand, but nonetheless, it was a really good goal to see. And it was really interesting to see Chelsea continue their amazing run of form. They've been absolutely dominating, I believe, the last month and a half, at least, it seems like. Oh, excuse me, guys. And some general, uh, just kind of going from the first minute of the game to the 90 minute of the game. So starting out, um, Reading was really, really poor in the first half. Uh, Chelsea, I believe, in like the first three minutes had a really solid chance, and after that, Chelsea just continued to threaten for the entire half, and of course that resulted in Fran Kirby getting three goals. But one thing interesting that I saw was that I think Reading was just getting really exposed tactically. What they would do is I believe they had a, a bank of four defenders for their back line, and I think they just got tried to be a little bit too aggressive out of the gate. More often than not, I'd see their right back try to kind of push play forward. She'd take the ball up. She would try to get it to her in midfielders when she's already halfway up the pitch, so that she would lose, or yeah, she would lose possession right into the midfield, and then that just gave Chelsea the opportunity to start doing fast build-up, counterattack, and get into their penalty area really, really quickly and score. And this happened like five or six times in the first 10, 20 minutes, maybe. So Chelsea was just hammering it, hammering it, hammering it, and they did it so early that I think Reading had trouble adjusting it in that first half because it's not like the whole team can get together and change their tactics in the middle of the game. Of course, you're trying to shout instructions to your players, but you're out there on the pitch. You're how much can you really communicate when you're just, you know, screaming at players from down the field. But um, pretty much Chelsea just had a lot of one-on-one two-on-two opportunities. And like I said, they converted pretty clinically in all of them. I think Sam Kerr to her credit, she is a really unselfish player, which is just absolutely fantastic. Everybody loves that, but she could have had a she could have been the woman in the match if she scored the two goals and also assisted the two. But hey, good on Fran Kirby. I'm a big fan. She is just absolutely one of the brightest personalities I think in the WSL. So I'm really happy that she scored these four goals. Plus, with today's five nil win, it really helps Chelsea's already compounding goal differential. I believe they're up to. Let's double check that real quick. I believe they're plus twenty three on goal differential, which has some pretty big implications going forward in the table. Let's see here. I can always rely on the BBC, the BBC for good WSL table accounts. Yeah, so 
today's win basically propelled Chelsea's uh, goal differential to plus 23. That is seven fewer than Arsenal and five more than Manchester United. So why am I bringing up goal difference? The main reason is because with Chelsea's win today, they moved up a spot in the table with a game in hand, mind you. So they surpassed Arsenal and they now have 23 points. Arsenal's got 22 and now they're only three points behind Manchester United and have a better goal difference. And what's really, really critical about this is Chelsea has a game in hand. So hypothetically speaking, if Chelsea made up their other game today and won, they would be first in the league. That's huge. So it, it I think what this league table is going to come down to by the end of the season is which team is going to crumble and lose. I mean, Chelsea and Manchester United, neither one of them have lost this season, so they're both playing out of their minds but who's going to make that first error who's going to make um who's going to perform more consistently throughout the season right now i would say that both teams are attacking so strongly that it remains to be seen i guess we have to wait for either team to just have a poor run of form and then time will tell but i think manchester united defends a little bit more consistently and solidly up and down the pitch than chelsea not to say that Chelsea defends poorly, it's just that Chelsea's on the front foot so often that they don't they don't have to defend quite as much, it seems. Which, when they play better teams, that can get a little bit exposed. So, I think that's why United have performed so well against really strong competitions, because their ability to defend, I think, is a little bit more strong and solid. They put more pressure on their opponents than Chelsea does. But like I said, as time goes on, we'll see how that ends up playing out. I'm a Manchester United fan, as some of you may or may not know. I'm hoping that they pull the the uh, the league title out this year because this is only their third season in existence, and in their first season they won the the women's championship. They, um, I'm trying to remember what they placed last season, but I believe they were top five last season in the league, and that'd be really cool in their third season if they went ahead and won the league title. Big shout out to Casey Stoney. I'm a big fan, and she just continued to impress each and every day when I see her manage. So uh, that's just some implications of the uh, Chelsea-Reading game today. Chelsea dominated. I expected Reading to perform a little bit better. They tend to at least hang in there with all the teams that they play against. They might score a goal or two, and they don't score very many goals, so I expected them to get at least one today, but that did not end up panning out. So all credit to Chelsea. They just outperformed Reading today by a country mile. Yeah, that's a that's a term, right? So all right. With that segment done and out of the way, that's actually going to be our sole segment for the day before we get into our main topics for this particular episode. We've got two main topics today. Both of them are dedicated to a player that made the US Women's National Team January camp roster. So let's get into it. Our first main topic for this episode is Katarina Macario. Will she play overseas rather than the NWSL? So I posed this question because on Friday, that would be January 8th now, uh, Jeff Kasuf for the Equalizer broke on Twitter that Katarina Macario announced that she was going to forgo her senior season at Stanford, which I don't really blame her. I mean, with the COVID-19 pandemic going on, it's like how many games could they possibly play? And... She also signed with a sports agency. She signed with A&V Sports, who has a lot of European clients and really high-profile ones, too, just to name a few of them. Sam Kerr, Ada Hagerberg, and Caitlin Ford. 
amongst many others. Feel free to go on their website if you're more curious. But it begs the question, with the NWSL draft only being four days away, yeah, four days away from this point because it's Sunday, what is she going to do? Is she going to go into the NWSL draft or whichever team she's drafted by and play in that league, or is she going to go overseas and play for the likes of a team in England, in France, in Spain, wherever, pretty much. So I thought that this would be a good time to examine the pros and cons of each. Let's get right into it. First, let's start off with what would happen, what are the pros and cons if she went overseas? The good, th- the good thing about being overseas is that you have a pick of the lot of a ton of high-profile global brand teams. You've got Olympic Lyonnais, you've got Paris Saint-Germain, PSG, you've got Manchester United, you've got Manchester City, you've got Arsenal, you've got Barcelona, you've got Real Madrid, who is a team that's uh, recently been created by the club. You've got, I'm trying to remember other high-profile clubs, even the Italian League, Juventus. There's so many teams that you can choose from, and why, why do I mention that global presence the reason basically is more money. When you play for these bigger clubs, you get more of a global presence, which means sponsors notice you, Nike, Adidas, etc. and so forth. And when that happens, they sponsor you, you get more money. So just for that reason alone, that, that kind of helps prove to be a pro for going and playing overseas. The second thing is just way up. You get to play the best competition in the entire world. In any league you pretty much play in, you're going to be facing amongst the world's best, especially I got to give credit to the FAWSL in this regard because I think they have the most talented league in the world and the league that's the most competitive. But you get to play against the best internationals from across the world right now. If Katarina Makari were to go and play in the WSL, she'd play against Pernil Harder, Sam Kerr, Millie Bright, um, Tobin Heath, Kristen Presser, fellow internationals. She would play against... I'm trying to, I'm blanking on names right now because there's just so many, but Caitlin Ford, Vivian Miedema, you just play against some of the world's best players that will push you to your limits and then you can expand your game and just get better. Not to say that the NWSL doesn't have that to an extent, but we'll get into that a little bit later. But playing, what comes with playing in those European leagues and the best competition in the world is also the Champions League. If you play in one of those uh, big leagues, you get to have the opportunity to at least compete to play in the Champions League. And of course, if you qualify, play against even the strongest competition, which is um, playing across leagues. So, for example, if she played in the WSL with, well, I'll just throw it out there, Manchester United, they make the Champions League. She gets to play against Olympic Lyonnais, PSG, the best defenders in the world, uh, those in Spain, those in Italy. You get that opportunity to really just Push yourself to those limits because when you're playing collegiately, it's just not the same, right? It's the competition is still high up there, but it's not professionals. You're not playing against the very best of the best in the world. And by going over to a club overseas, you get that opportunity. You get to you at least get the chance to play Champions League football. And there's other international competitions that come into play too. So the diversity of the competition in which you would face would greatly increase so that's another pro another pro is that you just get more money so i mentioned a little bit earlier that when you sign with these global brands companies will come out and sponsor you they'll give you stuff it's it's fantastic but 
The one thing that these foreign leagues do not have, foreign to the United States, that is, is a salary cap. There's no limit to how much they can pay you per season. They could pay you $100 million if they wanted to. And when, you, when you're when you as high of a profile player with as much potential and as much attention as Katarina Macario is, you're going to want to cash in on that right away while your stock is really high. So for her to go overseas, clubs are going to give her more money than they would be able to in the NWSL. And that's that's just the reality of the situation because if you're in the NWSL, you've got that salary cap. And if your club is going to give you more money, they've got less money to spend on everybody else. So there's also that consideration. So basically what I'm saying is if Katarina Makara goes overseas, she'll be rich, <laughs> which might not be everything to everybody, but hey, money certainly helps and it certainly talks. Oh, let's see how much do I have left of this cocoa? About a half cup. Another pro of going overseas, I believe this is like my fourth or fifth pro, is you don't have to worry about your, you don't have to really worry about being traded or your playing rights being traded. If For those of you who might not know, in the National Women's Soccer League, we have these things in, called uh, players' signing rights. What that basically means is that if you are not in the league or if you get drafted, what have you, teams get these like first right of refusals basically that are called playing rights. If this first team wants you on their squad and saying you're coming over from an overseas league to the NWSL, a team can own the first right to go ahead and negotiate a contract with you and sign you first. And of course, if they can't sign you, what they will do is they will take your tra- your playing rights and trade it over to another team for possibly money. And then that other team can go ahead and attempt to sign with you. And then if they you don't sign with them, the cycle repeats. That's very layman's terms of what playing rights are. But nonetheless, that's essentially what they are in a nutshell. The NWSL is really unique because they're really the only league, I believe, in the entire world that does that. And in terms of the soccer scene, it makes absolutely no sense at all. It really it really limits players' options to go from one club to another club to another club within the league, especially if they're coming from overseas. There's a lot of implications to that. It really limits the players' uh, power, essentially. And no player likes having no power over their future. That's just absurd. No, Nobody likes that in general, which makes a ton of sense, right? You want to be able to pick the places where you want to go and play. And by picking an overseas club, it allows a lot more flexibility for that. Let's see. I believe I'm on my last pro here. This is going to be kind of a pro slash a con for uh, both playing overseas and in the NWSL. But when you play overseas and you're also a United States Women's International player, there's contract terms that get really, really ambiguous and really confusing. The only reason I say that is because I've tried to understand what the uh, agreement is between U.S. soccer and the players that uh, play for them. And I still don't quite understand it. And I think a lot of fans don't either. I could probably make some sort of video on it in the future once I fully understand it, but I'm not sure exactly what the implications would be if Katarina Macario went and played and signed 
with the team overseas, what that would look like for her U.S. soccer contract because she plays for the United States, therefore she has a contract with the United States. But uh, that's the only reason why I list that as sort of a pro slash a con because I don't know if that makes uh, her playing ability easier. I don't know if it makes it harder. So that kind of just remains to be seen. If you guys have any thoughts or have any knowledge about what the U.S. Soccer uh, CBA, which stands for Collective Bargaining Agreement, is, feel free to drop it down in, in the comments below. I'm always willing to learn more about that. The one bad thing about the CBA, and I believe they do this on purpose, is that they don't really release it, at least willingly, to the public. To my knowledge, I've looked everywhere and I just have not been able to find it. But um, there's that. So, And now... That about does it for the pros of Katarina Macario playing overseas. There's quite a few. I believe I listed out five or six. Let's get into the cons a little bit. Let's let's examine both sides of this coin. One of the cons of Katarina Macario going overseas is that, obviously, she will no longer be close to home. Uh, she has lived in the United States, I believe, most of her life. Her playing overseas would mean that she might be away from her family, might be away from her friends. I don't know how strongly she feels about that. I don't know her opinion enough on that to really definitively say how big of a factor that is or not. For some players, it, it it's greater than others. I can see why for some players who have like families in the states, they've got you know kids, husband, wife, what wh- what have you. That that becomes a lot more attractive to play in the NWSL because you get to be close to home, and when you're overseas, you're obviously not with your family unless you pack them all up and move, which during a pandemic it's kind of a risky situation. But that's neither here nor there. the 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 main The main point here is is that she's going to be playing away from home. She'll probably travel a lot more, which depending on who you ask is a pro or a con. But that's one of the cons of foregoing the NWSL and going overseas. Now. What are the other cons of playing overseas? I couldn't think of any more if I'm being completely honest. I I legitimately sat down for a good half hour and thought hard about what what, what else is a con of going overseas. I I can't think of any. I can't think of any more than just the fact that it's not home and you probably travel a lot more. Playing in the overseas has a lot of upside. But does the NWSL have more? Let's take a look. So, what are the pros and cons of playing in the NWSL now? Let's examine the other side of that coin. Let's examine some of the pros first. So, if Katarina Macario were to play in the NWSL, she'd be close to home, probably travel a lot less, which is nice because if your family's here, your friends are here, you don't have to put those relationships on hold to go overseas and play thousands and thousands of miles away. That's really nice. The, the adjustment factor is a lot more... It's a lot less complicated, I guess you could say. You also don't have to learn a foreign language either if you go to somewhere like uh, France, Spain, etc. Or she could know like 10 languages, and I just know don't know. But that's just one aspect to kind of consider here. Uh, another pro is that she could be the face of the franchise for whichever club picks her up. Like I was saying earlier, she's had a lot of upside, a lot of hype. She's performed really successfully at the collegiate levels, won pretty much every award you can win, has had goal involvement that is just out of this world, and I believe it's some of the best we've seen in history. And with that, 
you get your club that you're, that drafts you to go ahead and build the brand around you as the player. In Racing Louisville's case, this gets really valuable because they are a brand new club to the NWSL. They're going to want to get some familiar faces to their club just to draw a little bit of attention, maybe draw a bit of a fan base that exists in Louisville and beyond, of course. So Katarina Macario would be the face of the franchise, essentially, if she were picked up by Racing Louisville in this particular case, or really whichever franchise ends up picking her up if she does end up entering the draft. There's a lot of upside to that, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Now, those are the only two pros I could honestly think of. There wasn't a ton of advantages in playing in the WSL. Let's look at some of the cons. So... I mentioned this earlier, the whole concept of salary cap. Basically, the NWSL, like I said, they're one of the only leagues, if not the only league in the entire world to do this. But what what they do is they adopt this thing called the salary cap. The salary cap is the maximum amount of money you can pay your players for an entire calendar year, if I'm not mistaken. In the NWSL in 2019, it was $421,000. I don't know offhand if they have updated or changed that as the as um, 2020 has passed, but most recently it was $421,000 as far as I could tell. Now, like I said earlier, if you have a lot of high-profile players on your on your club squad, you're they're going to want more money, and you're going to have to you're going to have to pay them. You're going to have to pay them a pretty big chunk of that $421,000. The more you pay those high-profile players, the less money you have to spend on other players in your squad. So you have to kind of play this strategic game of you want to get the best players possible and sign them for the least amount of money as you can. Inevitably, that's going to mean less money for somebody, and in this particular case, it'd probably be Katarina Macario. Racing Louisville if they drafted her, wouldn't obviously couldn't pay her all $421,000 because they wouldn't have money to sign anybody else. So it's this balancing act of, it's like a mind game, which is why having agents is so important is because they can get you the most money possible. They can keep you as your player, you as a player, your interest at the top of the list over the clubs. That's just the reality of the situation. And that's the, that's what the salary cap poses to this particular predicament. So inevitably, that just results in a ceiling for Katarina Macario's contract, how much she's going to get paid, because the NWSL just has that limit. But like I said, if she goes overseas, there's no limit. They can pay her pretty much however much they want to pay, however much uh, her and her agents agree to, things like that. So there's limited potential in the amount of money that she can make in the NWSL. And... To kind of go off that money aspect again a little bit is the NWSL is still a league in its infancy, and because of that, the global brand for their clubs isn't all that high. They're not anywhere near, they don't have the resources like Manchester United, Olympic Leonese, PSG, Juventus, Barcelona do. That's just the reality of them being in their infancy. They're they're growing, they're evolving, and I believe they'll have growing pains for a long time, but that's one of the cons of going to the NWSL. You don't get as much eyes on you, at least as of right now. And sponsorships notice that it's less people. It's less people that have your eyes on their eyes on you, less people you're exposed to. So that's uh, your, your sponsorship money also gets a little bit limited there. Having said that, I'm no global 
sports marketing brand person that works for Nike or anything like that, obviously, but that's just kind of the reality of the situation. If she played, if she went to the NWSL and she played out of her mind and sponsors like, we'll give you all of our money, then mazel tov. But in gen- as a general rule of thumb and general principle, fewer eyes are on the NWSL than there are in other clubs around the world. And this goes into my last pro slash con, which I kind of already mentioned when talking about playing for overseas. The confusing restrictions between U.S. soccer and playing in the NWSL. So this is one thing I know about the CBA agreement for U.S. soccer. If you play for an NWSL club, technically you're not really under contract with the NWSL. Technically you're under contract with U.S. soccer, which is really, really strange. That poses some really interesting restrictions because it's giving U.S. soccer that overarching power over you. And with the equal pay lawsuits and disputes going on currently, I can't see players wanting to be in that situation. If any of you know or have any um, articles that maybe contradict what I th- that claim that U.S. soccer owns all the contracts in the NWSL, jump down in the comments below and let me know and maybe put the link to the article there. But I'm pretty positive, because I heard this from the Equalizer, I could have interpreted this incorrectly, was that when you play for the NWSL, technically you're under contract with U.S. soccer, not the NWSL itself. That's a byproduct of just being in a league that's still in its infancy and still growing, is that the league itself doesn't currently have the money to, I guess, support players. And that's probably why there's a salary cap, is because U.S. soccer is technically covering a lot of it. So... That's a little bit more on the speculative piece, but that's just one of the the cons of playing in the NWSL currently. So, at the end of the day here, we've considered both sides of the coin. Should she play overseas? Should she play in the NWSL? If I'm Katarina Macario, I would definitely play overseas. There is so much more benefit to playing overseas. You can make more money. You can play against the best competition in the world, etc. and so forth. Your ceiling there's no ceiling. You could become one of the world's best players and do it on the world's biggest stage. So if I'm Katarina Macario, I'm definitely playing overseas. The NWSL, I think for her isn't quite, it just wouldn't fit her. The situation as it is in the world today, it just doesn't fit her. So overseas, if I were her, I would definitely um, elect to do that option. Oh, excuse me. So that about does it for main topic number one, guys. What do you think Katarina Macario should do? Drop down in the comments below and let me know. Or if there's other pros and cons that I didn't consider that are certainly valid, feel free to jump them, jump down in the comments and let me know too. I'm curious. Okay. So with that topic down and out of the way, let's go on to main topic number two. Now, I've posed the question here, what should Katarina Macario do? But I want to examine the other side of that. Should Racing Louisville draft Katarina Macario? Now, I mentioned this earlier, but I'll plug it again one more time. The NWSL draft is going to be coming up this Wednesday, January 13th. It'll be at 7 p.m. Eastern time, and the NWSL is going to stream it on Twitch, which I love. It's really nice because it's easy to access. Uh, That's one thing that the NWSL does really well is give access to their fans, to players, to resources, to games etc. and so forth. So, Racing Louisville has the number one pick. Katarina Macario, in my opinion, is the best player in the draft by far. Meaning, and I think a lot of pundits and analysts would agree, 
naturally then Racing Louisville would probably want to pick up Katarina Macario. But should they? This really depends on the situation. This really depends on what Katarina Macario does or says. So there's three different options here. Katarina Macario might not decide on draft by by draft day. She might not decide I'm going to play in the NWSL. I'm going to play in the uh I'm going to play overseas. She might not even decide by draft day. The second situation is she could decide by draft day to play overseas. The third option is she could decide before draft day that she's going to play in the NWSL. So we're going to go through each of those real quick and kind of examine the pros and cons of that. So let's go with the first scenario. What if Katarina Macario doesn't decide by draft day that she wants to play in the NWSL? If she doesn't decide by draft day, if I'm racing Louisville, I would not draft Katarina Macario. Here's why. It's a really big gamble given the number of overseas benefits or play the benefits of playing overseas that we kind of talked about earlier. The benefits to playing overseas are overwhelming. And for a young player like Katarina Macario, that makes it a very attractive option. So, and one other thing to consider here is the vibe that I've gotten from other pundits and analysts is that Louisville isn't exactly the destination of choice for a lot of players in the NWSL, at least as of right now. Um, which I would argue, why did the NWSL build a franchise if players don't want to play there? But that's a topic for another podcast altogether. And the reality of it is Louisville has already taken a ton of risks with the expansion draft. They drafted Tobin Heath and Kristen Press, which it seems like what they're going to do is they're going to try to take their playing rights and flip them for a profit if and when they do return to the NWSL, which that in itself is a big gamble that they have to hold on to for a long time. And if I'm not mistaken, they drafted Caitlin Ford and Alana Kennedy. Alana Kennedy permanently signed with Tottenham. So that gamble has not paid off for them. So now they just hold on to a player's rights that's not going to play in the NWSL. So that investment is basically goose egg unless Alana Kennedy comes back. Let me double check if Caitlin Ford was picked up in the expansion draft. I swear she was. Let's see here. Sorry, guys. I got my laptop right next to me. If I could spell today, that would help. Oh, let's see. NWSL expansion draft. The expansion draft felt like so long ago already. It's insane, but... Ah, they did. Yeah, so they selected her playing rights. And did they select Alana Kennedy's? I'm sorry, guys. I should have definitely known this going into... the podcast episode today let's see here alana kennedy expansion draft yeah they selected alana kennedy in the expansion draft too and so that gamble her playing rights are gone and if caitlin ford caitlin ford's been lighting it up in the fawsl this season so if she hasn't signed a deal for arsenal already which i'm pretty sure she has Feel free to fact check me on that. But then that's another gamble that they've lost out on. So that could potentially be four superstars that they drafted and none of them could be coming to play for Racing Louisville. And the worst part is Racing Louisville could potentially not even be able to sell their playing rights to another club so they lose out on those resources. 
So my point is, when it relates to Katarina Macario, they've already taken a ton of big gambles. If they take another one with Katarina Macario and they lose out on all five of their gambles, they're gonna lose. Their 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 introduction to the league is gonna be extremely slow. When you're an expansion team like this, I think the idea that if you're a GM is you're trying to build up a good foundation for your club to succeed and build a platform on. And if you're losing these big trade gambles like this or big signing gambles, you're put into a position where you don't have a lot of buying power and you don't have a lot of resources in order to continue to build your foundation. And that sets you back a lot. So in this particular case, it just I don't think it would be a very smart move for Racing Louisville to pick up Katarina Macario if in fact she stated that or if in fact she hasn't decided by draft day it's a ginormous gamble if they draft her and she decides she's not coming to the nwsl and never comes to the nwsl then her playing rights are basically worth zero dollars in a trade and zero players in a trade so it gives them little ammo to work with if i'm them and she doesn't decide by draft day i'm not i'm not picking her up for the draft Let's examine scenario number two here. What if Katarina Macario decides by draft day that she does want to go overseas? I think the obvious answer here would be do not draft her. The reason being is if she goes overseas, who knows if she'll ever come back to the NWSL. The NWSL could grow a ton in the next five to ten years and it could be a more attractive option. They could get their stuff together and she could come back, but that could be years away. That could be three, four years away. Racing Louisville, who wants to build their foundation now, you'd be holding on to that, to that pick, that trade for three, four seasons, which you don't want to necessarily wait that long to gain assets from that investment. You don't want to wait that long. So that, that that's a huge gamble. And like I said, if she never comes to the NWL, then you're left with a wasted pick, which you could have used to build a better foundation for your club going forward. And like I was saying earlier, it's if you're if you pick up Katarina Macario when she's already said she's not coming to the NWSL for the draft, you you risk holding on to that investment, and that is a large gamble that might never ever ever pay off. Now, that's not to say that no team should draft her. If any teams in the draft have a ton of picks and they can afford to take some risk, by all means, that might be the solution for them. Because you know, the flip side of the coin is Katarina Macario could go play overseas for a season or two and come to the NWSL, which now you've got first rights to sign one of, hopefully by then, will be one of the world's best players. But that's actually another consideration, too. What if Katarina Macario goes, say if Racing Louisville pick up Katarina Macario's uh, playing rights, she goes, she plays overseas, she plays really poorly and tries to come back to the NWSL. Well, now they've got this player who's in really bad form and they can't, they'll have no choice but to include in the squad because they probably wouldn't be able to sell her playing rights. So there's that too. There's that particular aspect. So if she doesn't, if she decides to go overseas before draft day, if I'm racing Louisville, absolutely do not draft her. So let's examine the third option here. What happens if by draft day, she decides I'm going to play in the NWSL? At that point, I would say go ahead and draft her. Um, you guys, if you guys have listened to my other podcast episodes, you can tell that I'm pretty high on Katarina Macario. Her numbers speak for themselves. And in her last season, her junior year, mind you, with Stanford, she was had a goal involvement, I believe, of like two goals per game at minimum, which is absolutely insane. She played 25 games and was involved in 55 goals. That's 
that, that that's just ludicrous numbers. Um, there is an argument to be made. Now, I think Henry McCarr has a lot of potential building off of that too. A lot of hype, builds a lot of stock, like I mentioned earlier. There, of course, is the argument that, hey, she's only played collegiate ball. And when you translate that to a professional setting, it doesn't always pan out. That's a very valid argument. That's very true. Katarina Macario could go play overseas. She could flop and she could be a really bad player. It happens to a lot of players over time. My counter argument to that is every pick you have in any draft or whenever you really sign a player, whether you're overseas from, say, players from overseas, they graduate from their academy and they get signed at the senior squad. That's a gamble in itself, too. When you're playing in an academy or when you're playing in a collegiate setting and you turn professional, there's no guarantee you're going to succeed. That's with every player. But there's some more players that are posed and I don't want to say likely to succeed, but they're those players who offer a lot more promise than others to succeed. I think with Katarina Macario's collegiate numbers, there's so much uh, promise and potential involved that it's worth the gamble in, in this particular case if she does decide to enter the draft. So obviously, if she decides to enter draft, I'm if I'm racing Louisville, I'm picking up Katarina Macario with my number one pick. So let's kind of recap that a little bit. So there's three different options that can happen. Katarina Macario could not decide by draft day at all what she's going to do, in which case if I'm racing Louisville, I'm not picking her up. She could decide by draft day, I'm going to go play overseas, which in racing Louisville's case, again, I wouldn't pick her playing rights up. The third case, which if she decides by draft day, I'm going to play in the NWSL, then I would go ahead and draft her. There's a ton of upside. There's a ton of promise with her. It's it it's worth I think her upside is so much that it mitigates her risk dramatically and I think she'll have a very successful career where no matter where she goes. So that'll do it for the second main topic, guys. What are your thoughts about racing Louisville's situation? Do you think they should pick up Katarina Macario? Do you think they shouldn't? Do you think that she's going to live up to the hype that she has uh surrounding her? Um I think Vladko Andonovsky is pretty high on her too, otherwise he wouldn't have been picking her for like the last two or three camps. I believe he's picked her every camp since October. So the last three or four consecutive camps. So I think there's a lot of promise for Katarina McCarron. I think she'll be great, but I want to know what you guys think. Jump down in the comments below. All right, guys, that, that about does it. Today was a bit of a shorter episode because I squeaked it in this weekend, which has been fantastic. I've enjoyed it and I hope you guys have too. So that'll do it for this third episode of the podcast. If you guys really enjoy what you're hearing, um, feel free to like, comment, subscribe, or however you like to support your podcast. If you absolutely hate what you're hearing, feel free to let me know too. I don't mind that at all. And if you're looking for more consistent content on a daily basis, uh, we are on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I will link those down in the description below so you can look at it for your leisure. But I want to hear from you guys. If there are other topics or questions that you have about the world of women's football or just thoughts that you want to ponder and discuss, Feel free to comment down below on any of my social media platforms or DM me as well, and we can have some good discussions. So that'll do it for this podcast, everybody. This is the Women's Soccer Football Podcast. My name is Bryce, and we will see you in the next episode. And as always, have a great day.